You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. So if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to continue on in our series. We're in a summer letters series. We're in 1 John. Today we're looking at chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 as we continue our summer letters series. Now as you're turning there, um, I had someone recently ask me, Probably one of the toughest questions of our day. Do you know what the toughest question of our day is? No, we, we, we know the answer to that. Bob asks, where's a good place for coffee? Um, one of the toughest questions of today, this person asked me that caused me to pause. He said, Pastor Dwayne, where do you get your news? Where do you get your information? How are you informed about the things that are going on? And I really had to think, have you, have you ever been there? Because we've lost trust a long time ago, haven't we? You know, as a kid growing up in the eastern regions of, of Newfoundland, Canada, um, I never imagined, even as a kid watching the news, that I would see something or see a news reporter or somebody inform me of something that wasn't true. Now, it was a little simple because we only had two stations. So that made things a lot easier. But even back then, when people talked about journalism, they described it as something that it was honest, it was unbiased, it was something where you were just reporting the facts. You weren't reading in all that personal experience to it. But today, we know that it is very difficult to get good information, isn't it? We are in the information age, but everything that we get, we've had to put up this big filter for it. And even different news reporting agencies, they start accusing each other, no, you're fake news, no, you're fake news, no, you're fake news. And you're going, how do I know the truth? And we may think that that's something that's new for today, but actually, during our trip to Alaska, we found out that even back during the gold rush, Remember that great gold rush to the Yukon back in the late 1800s where people left and abandoned everything in desperation to find gold in, in their hills? We passed by a town that was, that was actually called Liarsville. Liarsville, Alaska. You ever been there? Liarsville, Alaska is at the base of, a, of White Pass by this beautiful waterfall. And they called it Liarsville because during the gold rush, journalists were flocking up to the area to write news about the gold that was happening. But when they got there, they saw something known as White Pass, this treacherous path straight up, no switchbacks, that you would have to carry a ton of gear just, just to get up there. And so what a journalist would have to do would be to get up there somehow and then report on what they saw. So there was a group of journalists that said, you know what, we're just going to stay down here. And they would make up their stories. Isn't that amazing to make up a story? They would make up a story or somebody would pass through and they'd tell them this tall tale and they began writing it. And over time, people began to come through and go, they don't know what's going on, so they called it Liarsville. Liarsville. Don't recommend living there. I think my tour guide was very honest, so I think she was telling the truth. But this is hard to navigate, isn't it? And even today for us here, as it relates to the gospel and as it relates to God, so many people are misinformed about who God is. If you were asked 10 people just walking through our city and say, tell me who is God, you would probably get 10 different answers, wouldn't you? And even in our context, we talk about who is God to you, the answers may vary all the way over, but fortunately, we have a God who loves us, a God who has all the truth, and he has given us the answers because he's our heavenly father, the one who loves us. And he showed us a way, and he actually gave us a test 
And this test is found in 1 John chapter 4. So this is the way to know. This is what we need to know. So let's read this together today. Read with me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. Lord, open our hearts today. We need your truth. And you've not hidden it from us, but you've revealed it and you've shown it to us. So open our heart today. Let it be fertile ground that you can put your seeds in. Lord, guide me today, Lord, that I wouldn't bring my bias into it, but Lord, that I would just speak your truth. Anoint the words, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my God, my rock, my redeemer. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So today we're talking about testing. We just had graduation, but are you guys excited to have more tests over today? You're like, I thought we were done with school. There's more tests. And as we enter into this, and as we look at the Word of the God, one of the things we need to ask ourselves is why. Why is this important? So as we look at this today, the big why for us is why do we need this test? If you, have you ever taken a test and you're like, I don't even know why I'm taking this? This is a test that we need to know. Because testing is a normal part of Christian's life. See, a believer's life, as you're walking along this way, testing things is a normal part of it because this is how Jesus walked. And Jesus even encouraged us to test everything walking through. See, true faith is not blind. Have you ever heard the statement that, that faith is blind? And sometimes we have this image that God's called us just to close our eyes and just to walk and go. But true faith is not about tightening your eyes closer and looking away. True faith is about actually opening our eyes wider and looking deeper. It's about allowing Jesus to speak to us and to show us where to go, to show us how to think, to show us where the truth is. It's about seeing Jesus in creation, seeing Jesus in history, seeing him in science, because the fingerprints of God are on everything because he created it, amen? God is everywhere. This is faith. We see it. It's the evidence. We see it. And even in James 1, it says, every good and perfect gift is from the Father, everything. Theologian John Stott says it this way. He says that neither Christian believing nor Christian loving is to be indiscriminate. And then he says this. He says, true faith examines its object before reposing confidence in it. When you are examining something, when you are questioning something, you are entering to, into a, a field that Jesus has called you into. This is the way. See, as followers of Christ, we should be thinking critically Thinking critically and our faith and spirituality, they are combined. Do we, do we get that? Right? I've heard some people, I, I, growing up one time, someone said, don't, just, don't think about it, just do it. And I'm like, 
But you didn't say that when I was going fishing. You said, oh, hey, Dwayne, be careful today. Use your mind, <laughs> right? We use our mind in everything. This is part of it, is about thinking critically. We, we see this through Romans, through Corinthians, through 1 Thessalonians. And the Word of God even says that we are to have the mind of Christ. See, God gave us a mind, and he filled us with the Holy Spirit, and he enabled us to use it for his glory, to use it wisely, to fill it with the Word of God, and to surrender our minds to Christ. But he speaks to us through this. Paul continually said, in Romans 12, he said, by testing you may be able to discern what the will of God is. In 1 Corinthians, he said, judge for yourself what I say. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, test everything, hold fast to what is good. And even as I'm speaking today, you should be taking the word of God and going, is everything that Duane is saying, is it found in these pages? Is it found in this truth? And if it's not, you need to take me out for coffee. If it is, you should still take me out for coffee, okay? (laughs) We need to have a relationship either way, but this is how we work, this is how we walk, this is how we learn. And see, we need this test. We need to test things because there is conflict in our lives, isn't there? And even through this series, John has already outlined the different conflicts. He said that there is a conflict between the spirit realms, between truth and falsehood in chapter 2. He said there's a conflict between children of God and children of Satan, between love and hatred. And even in our day-to-day, one of the biggest conflicts that we have is over this very word of God. There's a lot of debate going on. Is it real? Is it true? Or maybe parts of it are true and parts of it are not true. There are some that will say, well, I I like the New Testament. That's a loving, grace-filled Jesus. But the Old Testament, I don't think that's true because that's kind of hard to understand what's going on. See, we need to recognize this conflict today. Because there's always been the spirit to undermine the Word of God, to undermine the Bible. Because how we view the Bible affects our life. How we look at this, the word of God, has incredible ramifications on how we live and how we operate. That's why Tim Keller said that nobody can look objectively at the word of God. Did you hear that? No one can look at the Bible objectively. And he uses the illustration of a judge, where if a judge is in a court of law and the judge is having to judge this case... If in looking at the case, if the judge looks at it and says, how I judge this case could cause me to benefit from this. Meaning if I judge this in a certain way that I as a judge, I will benefit from it. Legally, that judge needs to recuse herself from that case and allow somebody to come in that stands not to benefit from that. But as we look at the word of God, how we judge it has great effect, doesn't it? It affects our life. It affects how we live. So that's why the Bible is so offensive to our culture. Because the Bible says things, there's only one way to God. We don't like one way. I like going to Amazon. I like seeing 20 things at 20 different prices that will get here as quick as possible. Are you with me? Right? Amen, right? We like options. We like choices in our life. But when it comes to God, there's one way. So there's a conflict going on. And this conflict has resulted in Christianity being misrepresented. And even John says it here, his first verse in chapter 4 says, Many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, the misuse and the misrepresentation of Christ is more popular today than the truth of Christ. We don't get to hear all the good things that are happening in Christianity We don't get to hear all the good things that are happening, but we hear about the abuses. We hear about the misrepresentations. We hear about the things where Christianity has been twisted. 
It is often difficult to have a conversation with somebody about the reality of who Jesus is because there's so many bad things that have happened. They've had a bad experience with a Christian. They've had a bad experience with a church. They've had a bad experience with somebody who misrepresented who Jesus is. And unfortunately, these poor examples, they've come to characterize who Jesus is. And this has resulted in Christianity often being dismissed and worse than that, being moved to being radicalized. See, Christianity used to be dominant. It was the foundation. As we go through July 4th, we'll hear often that Christianity and the Bible is foundational to the building of this country. But then over time, and often through the misuse and the abuse of Scripture, that Christianity and the Word of God has been dismissed and marginalized. Meaning that we see it, but we don't like it, so we push it to the side. And even today, we hear more about Christianity being radicalized. Meaning, not only is it to be marginalized and pushed to the side... But Christianity is dangerous, and we need to get rid of it. It needs to be destroyed. But I want to remind you today, and I want to bring you back to the truth about who God is. Because, see, Jesus even said, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Jesus said, You will know them by their fruit. There is a truth and there is a reality to Christian. And even in our society, we need to realize that true Christianity, it benefits society. That the word of God, as we live it out, it benefits society. Do you realize today that Christians have been at the front line of building hospitals, of caring for the poor, of building orphanages, and of fighting the oppressed? Christians run to the front line for this all over the world. And even today, as we looked at Convoy of Hope, even when they hear about a storm, they are deploying to that area to be ready when a hurricane comes in or when a tsunami comes in, they are there. And even around the world, most of the humanitarian efforts are being done by religious nonprofits. Even here in Seattle, hospitals and schools were started by Christian people. Have you ever heard of a lady called Mother Joseph? Have you heard about her? This is, this is Mother Joseph. She designed and or supervised construction of 29 schools and hospitals here in Seattle, one of which was Seattle's first hospital. And Mother Joseph, this wonderful lady, she is recognized as one of the first architects in the Washington Territory. How amazing is that? Mother Joseph was known that she would come into this area that had a lot of logging going on, a lot of mining going on, and she would go down in these mines and she would talk to those men, and God forbid may you fall into her hands, because she would say, you have kids back there, you need to give some money for the schools, you need to give some money for the feeding that's going on, you need to give some money for the hospital. She was an incredible fundraiser, an architect, a woman who believed in God, doing it all for the glory of God. And even as we sit here today, in Seattle, over 65% of the beds for the homeless in Seattle are provided by religious nonprofits. Over 65%. See, living for Christ, it moves you to action. It moves you to deployment, to, to, to being involved in this. And the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche, he even said, if you say you don't believe in God, but you do believe in the rights of every person and the requirement to care for all the weak and the poor, then you are still holding on to Christian beliefs, whether you admit it or not. He's saying if you hold on to this, this is a foundational Christian belief. This is foundational. See, Christian organizations, they tend to do very well at reaching out and helping and being at the front lines, but one of the things that they found out in this independent study was that Christians tend to do a bad job at patting themselves on the back, (laughs) so you don't hear about it. 
And that's a very noble thing, right? We don't want to toot our own horn. But I'm here today not to toot the horn, but to inform you that Christians are involved on the front lines in an active and ongoing way. And we can't believe the lie that is often put out there that, you know, Christians aren't involved, they're not active. Is there more that we can do? Yes. Is there more that we should do? Yes. By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we need to be more active, and there's some ways that we haven't been involved, but Christianity will propel you to be involved in those areas. So John in this, recognizing this and showing this, he's saying, you know what, you need a test. And what is the test? The test in all of this is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is our test. He says, by this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, why is Jesus the test? Because whatever we believe about Jesus, it affects everything. Our acceptance or rejection of Christ, it, can cha- it changes us. And this is a comprehensive test. See, what you believe about Jesus, it reveals how we view ourselves and God. It reveals who you are spiritually. And this is where many beliefs often vary. Have you ever gone through and asked somebody, you know, what do you believe about, about Jesus? I ask that question a lot, and I love those conversations. I love asking questions. And some of the commonly held views is that I found that most people, they will admit that, yes, Jesus is a real person because there's so much history. There's so much documentation that Jesus existed, that he is a real person. So unable to dismiss his existence, some choose to only view Jesus as a great moral teacher. Have you heard that before? Well, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe he's God, but man, he was a great moral teacher. And this may seem like a compliment, but it actually demeans who Christ claimed to be. See, Christ didn't claim to be a good moral teacher. He didn't claim just to come in and do this, but he claimed to be fully God, fully man, Savior of the world, the only way to heaven, having all authority and is the righteous judge of all. C.S. Lewis, in in his great book, Mere Christianity, said it this way. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is like a poached egg, not a very common saying today, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. See, the great thinker, C.S. Lewis, even recognized it. Being just a moral teacher, there's no way that you can look at who he claimed to be and think that. So who is Jesus? This gets us into the Christology, studying who he is. See, Jesus, he claimed, and he was, and he is, he's fully God. All the attributes of God. John 10, 30, it says that I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. He he is God. Now, who is God? 
You see it all throughout scriptures, but I love how the great pastor S.M. Lockard says it, pastor, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego. And he wrote and he preached this amazing thing that I'm going to try to read it to you today. And it's called That's My King. How many of you have heard that before? S.M. Lockers, that's my king. Here's what he says. He says, that's my king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder, do you know him today? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He regards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder, do you know him today? Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? But he's not done yet. He says his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And then he says, I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your head. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him and death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Amen? Amen? And if you want to see somebody really preach, go to YouTube and listen to Pastor Lockard say that. This is our king, our king of kings, our Lord of lords. This is who Jesus is, fully God, but also fully flesh. He came in human form because he wanted to reveal himself to us so that we would know him. It's called the incarnation of Christ. And see, John specifically underlined this today by saying, confessing that Jesus came in flesh. 
Because this was addressing in the heresy of John's day called docetism. It was the belief that Jesus was not really in human form. He was just this phenomenon that happened. Trying to take away the suffering because having seen the suffering, it was unimaginable that anybody would go through that suffering for anybody else. But it is a heresy. And one of the greatest things is that Jesus is now alive in us. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus test. Fully God, fully man, and he's alive in us. Think about that. Leading us, his spirit in us, transforming us, renewing us as we believe and we receive and we become children of God. Confessing him, taking on all the attributes. See, when we follow Christ, there will be evidence, there will be fruit in us. We will hear about a need in our area, and we will rush to the front lines and say, God, what would you have me do here? We will hear about a need here in this gathering today and go, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me respond? It's part of walking in the light that we talked about that first week. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Because see, unless you fully affirm the deity and the humanity of Christ, you are not truly confessing Christ. This is who Jesus is. This is the mark of a follower of Christ, fully believing, fully who Jesus is, not just part. We don't cut it up and segment it, but we pull it up and we say, Jesus, you are my Savior, you are my God. You are alive in me. You are transforming in me. Open my life so that I can hear you. Remove every sin from me so that I can clearly hear you. Give me the faith. Give me the strength that I need to stand and to do what you've called me to do. It's that walking in obedience. Fully confessing. If you've never lived in that way, it may be one of the scariest things you've ever done. But I promise you, it will be one of the most exciting things you'll ever do in your life is that fully surrendering to Christ, recognizing him as a savior. So as we recognize this today, and we take the words of John, as he's laid out this test of what it means to be a follower, and for me in my life, as I look at this, I'm going, God, never let me be a misrepresentation of who you are. Have you ever prayed that? God, let my life shine for you. I don't ever want to cause somebody to stumble because of my life. It doesn't mean that we live perfect, but it means that we live open and vulnerable. You know the difference, right? When I stumble, I say, that, that was wrong. <laughs> and I'm going to stumble. I was raised on ice. I stumble a lot. There are things that we will do. But it's when we stumble, we say, that was wrong. God, help me to get up. And we go forward. And when we stumble, we say, we don't justify it. Yeah, that was wrong. Help me. Let's get up. Let's keep moving. Let's keep walking. How do we walk in that way? That can be exhausting, doesn't it? Have you ever been exhausted by that? Like, man, I keep stumbling. What's going on here? God, help me. Help me to walk in this. This comes to the application. And this is about test preparation. Have you ever taken a test and you, did, you didn't prepare for it? I know you guys didn't, right? <laughs> like every day. <laughs> test needs preparation. That idea of being tested, but also testing the things out. This is why the writer of Hebrews said, never neglect gathering together. As you come together today, you need to recognize that God is preparing us. Do you recognize that? 
One of the reasons that we gather together, it is to prepare us and to encourage us. And this brings us to what Shoreline Community Church is about. It's about gather, grow, go. Everyone say that. Gather, grow, go. Ready? Gather, grow, go. This is the cycle. This is why we are here. See, gathering, if we are following Jesus, we're going to be in a church like this. Or like some of the other churches that are in the area. Because Jesus always gathered together. And he even went to a place that was hard because they were trying to kill him. We love you today. We're going to give you a cup of coffee. We're going to, you know, if you're new today, we're going to give you a Starbucks card and say thank you for coming. Jesus gathered in an environment that was even caustic to him. He valued it. See, we need to be here because testing is exhausting and we need encouragement. We need to learn. We need to be reminded. We need to worship together. One of the reasons why we gather together to worship, one of the things that we do to worship is to sing because I need to hear you singing around me. I need to hear you proclaiming and professing the word of God because it encourages and builds me up. Doesn't it do that? When you hear somebody get up and give the word of God, yes, it affirms my faith in God. I know that I have brothers and sisters who can help me and encourage me when I need help. How many of you have ever needed help in your life? Okay? If you haven't, come back next week. You'll all raise your hand because there's going to be something this week you're going to need help. And we all need help and we need each other. We need to gather together. Studies even show that those who don't gather, those that go, you know what? I can follow Christ and not go to church. Studies show that the majority of them end up falling away from Christ and denouncing Christ. Because this was critical to following Christ. He did it. He came. He lived. And he modeled even when it was hard. Even when Pastor Duane is boring. You go. You need it. You need to gather together. You need to be there. The second part of that, we gather, but we grow in our faith. See, we grow best when we are together. When we get involved in a group of some sort. When we find these friends that we come together that help each other. And they say, how are you doing this week? And the answer goes beyond fine. Okay, good. See you later. You need a group of people. You get together. How's it going this week? Rotten. I was in a group one time. And I asked that question. I said, so how's your week going? And this lady looked at me and said, I hate God. It wasn't my wife. Her answer to me was, I hate God. But do you know what enabled her to say that? Being involved in a small group. And I didn't say this to her, but inside I was going, awesome. <laughs> now you may think that's weird. Why would Pastor DeWayne think it's awesome that someone said they hate God? It, it wasn't what she said, it was that she felt free to say it. Do you get that? When somebody comes to you and they're that vulnerable, she knew who I was, she knew I was a pastor. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and go, I hate God. For me, I'm going, thank you, God, that this is a safe place where somebody can share something so vulnerable. But you need to get in a group like that. Find a place where you can come in and go, how are you doing this week? Man, I'm struggling. Or sometimes you may come in and go, it's been a good week. I've done well, you know, things are going well, or this is going on. But you have people where there's safety there, and you need that. We need that. That's how we grow. We grow in, in honesty with each other, finding that place where we can come in. I encourage you, find that place. Get involved in that. Was Jesus honest? He was very honest. There were things that Jesus said that they didn't need. They're like, Jesus, you, you, you shouldn't even say that. 
Jesus deals with us in honesty. And when we can be honest and we can find these places where we can verbalize it, we will find that healing rise up. That's what this church is about, amen? How many of you are committed to that? To be in a place where you can be honest and you can protect that and help that for people. And sometimes people just need to, just need to, to share it. So my response to her was like, well, you shouldn't hurt God. God loves you. My question to her was like, talk about that. Why? She needed a place just to share it and just to talk about it and to process that through. She didn't need me to come in and judge her. She didn't need me to, to come in and give some pat answers. She, she just needed a place to share it and verbalize it and know that, you know what, that's okay. We got to those places, but we got there at her pace, not mine. Right? We get there at their pace, not mine. If you go running with somebody, and you've never run before, and they take off, and they look back and say, hey, come on, keep up. Is that going to be a fun run? No, running's tough anyway. I love it, but not everybody does. And my first run was grueling, all three minutes of it. It takes time. It takes pace. There are times and areas in our life where, where God will come in, and boom, he's healed me. I was going blind as a kid. God touched my eyes and opened them up. Wonderful miracle of God. There are other areas of my life where God's saying, all right, <laughs> get ready for a long marathon, Dwayne. We're going to walk through this. But God manages that, and we walk with it, and we need to have an environment where we can share that. We need an environment where, where we can come in and we can agree and also disagree together, know how to do that. I describe that as playing catch. Conversationally, meaning that you throw the ball in a way that somebody can catch it, but if you're going to throw the ball... You need to be ready to catch the ball. That ball's coming back at you. <laughs> but the other person needs to throw it in a way that they can catch it and receive it. There's, have you ever played catch with somebody, and man, they're just trying to rip that ball as hard as they can because they want your hand to hurt and get it by you? Okay? That's called raising kids. <laughs> we need to be able to throw the ball so someone can catch it and understand. And then catching it, throw it back and talk about it. And what's our source of truth? It's God's word. And there are some things in here that you're going to need to dig deep into. You're going to need to go into say, God, I don't understand it. Show me how to walk in this. Show me how to believe in this. This is growing in our faith. This is digging deep. Like we said earlier, that true faith is not blind faith. It's not closing your eyes tighter. It's opening your eyes wider and seeing Jesus in everything and allowing him to show you and to walk with you. Amen? And then that last part of it, we gather together, we grow together, but then we go. We go, everyone say go. go. Okay, not yet. You got to go. <laughs> is, go is the application. It's not enough to see a need, saying, God, how can I help it? Now, you can't do everything, but God, what would you have me to do? And even sometimes we're so overwhelmed because we'll see so many people. It's like someone asked Mother Teresa one time, Mother Teresa, how in the world you come here to India. How in the world are you able to care for all these orphans and that? Is it ever overwhelming to you? And her response was along the lines of, just show kindness by starting with the person who's in front of you. If you can't do it for thousands, do it for one. Find one person this week that you can show an act of kindness to and see what will happen. That's what happened with Convoy of Hope. The founder grew up in a very poor home to where they were dependent on food being brought to their door. So when he became an adult, he started putting food in the back of his truck and just going around to his area in Northern California. 
that group was like, you know, if we can do it here, maybe we can do it across the state. So they began deploying across the state. If we can do the state, maybe we can do all of America. So they began deploying across America, and God kept, as they stepped in faith, providing for them. Well, if we can do it across America, maybe we can do it around the world. So they became going around the world, and now they're even moving into areas where they're not just bringing food there, but they're teaching them how to manage land, how to grow seed, how to keep seed back from one year to where they go back now three years later, and that community is producing more food than they could ever eat, and now they're just giving it away to neighborhood and areas. It is the Word of God active, flowing out. They didn't see that in the beginning. They said, God, what would you have me do? Show kindness to the person in front of you. If you can't buy a sandwich for some, everybody, buy it for somebody. Do something. Whoever the person is in front of you, it's the go, it's the testing, it's the seeing. God, where would you have me strengthen today? See, this is not just a written assignment. This is not an essay that you fill out and you just send it in. God's saying, no, go do it, go try it. Well, God, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you. After you go, that's how it works in my life. I'll start going into areas. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do. And he's like, of course you don't know what to do. But I do. Walk and listen. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Have I learned? Yes. Have I seen God even take me and going out and trying something, come in and bless it supernaturally? Where people went, well, I know Dwayne didn't do that. That had to be God. Isn't that good, though? Seeing God, allowing him to be glorified in all that you do. See, God is to be in all of us, in all of us, in everything that we do, living at our faith. And then I love how John says it in in verse 4. He says that, you know what? You are to live as an overcomer. As we talk about gathering and growing and go, we need to realize and we need to be reminded today that in all of this, in the preparation, in discernment, in discerning the voice of God, in discerning the things and testing that we see, that God has made us overcomers. And you may have heard this verse. John 4, 4 says, You are from God and have overcome them. For he that is in you is greater than he that is... Yeah, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the, in the world. Because who's in you? God indescribable, uncontainable. This is the God that we serve, and he is alive in us. See, when we are from God, we are an overcomer because as you learned from two weeks ago, we are children of God. We are heirs of who God is. But living as an overcomer, do you have to fight sometimes? There's a battle. There's a battle that you're going to walk in, but when God is alive in us, we are overcomers. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Some battles are short, some battles are long, and so many, how many of you are in a battle right now? Just be honest, how many of you, this is a place of vulnerability, okay? I just told you, you, you can even tell me that you hate God and I'll still love you, okay? <laughs> how many of you are in a battle right now? Just be honest, this is a safe place. You're in a battle right now, I am. This is part of our walk with God. This is part of the testing and strengthening. But when I'm in a battle, know where I can't wait to get to? Right here with all of you. Are you perfect? No. Am I perfect? Your no was louder for that one than the first one. Right? We need each other. If we are to grow as an individual in our walk with the Lord, because God hasn't called us to be stagnant. No one just just floats. You either sink or you rise. 
we need that power of being together with each other. We need to be a community that welcomes questions and we can talk about it. We need to be a community that learns how to ask questions appropriately because there's a right and a wrong way, right, to ask questions. And we need to know how to listen, how to walk this out. This is part of that walk of faith, that journey of discernment. And as you walk that, watch how the Lord begins to speak to you as you just open your spirit to him and alive in him and God strengthens you. The first test that I took when I entered the educational program back home in kindergarten seemed very hard, but looking back, that test is a lot easier than the one I got in university, right? Because there's growth that happens. The tests that happened earlier in my marriage 26 years ago seemed very hard at the time. But now 26 years later, it's like, oh, that was easy compared to. Because you grow. You grow in friendship. You grow in your walk with the Lord. This is the walk. So as we head into this time of just just reflection and and applying it, the worship band, they're just going to play here a little bit. But this is when we need to speak to God. And you may have different questions than these, but here are some questions for you you to ask. And that first question is, where is there conflict in your life with Christ? Where is there conflict in your life? Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's in your neighborhood. But identify, God, where is there conflict? And then as we look at our life, ask ourselves, is Christ in my life, is he dominant? Or have I pushed him to the margin, something I just grabbed like a condiment? Or is he the center of all things? Where is he? And that's a question between you and God. As we just talked about gathering and growing and going, say, Lord, where am I in that? How am I doing on on the gathering? Am I doing well at gathering together with other believers to encourage them to be encouraged, to grow, to strengthen? Am I growing? Am I getting with people where I can just, I can have those honest conversations and, and walk in that? Am I going? Am I applying the things that you tell me to do? Am I living out Christ in my community? Am I being active and going wherever he's called me to go? How are we doing in that? Amen. Let's, let's all stand together. Jesus, we thank you. Because all we need, your hand provides because you are faithful, amen? You are a faithful God. And Lord, I pray now for my brothers and sisters that they recognize already they're in a battle right now. They're in a battle today. They're in a battle today. If you're in that battle, I just want to invite you just to lift your hand with me today, signifying that, yeah, I'm I'm in a battle. (laughs) There's things going on in my life that I need help. Lord, help us today as a body of Christ to be those who run to those that need help, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to look for ways of those next steps. Lord, to realize that you are great in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Show us how to walk that overcoming life with you. You're the overcomer. Be alive in us. Speak to us today, O God. Open our hearts to what you would speak to us now. And everyone said together, amen. Let's just take some time, and I I invite you, maybe you just want to stay where you are, just say, Lord, just 
I just want to worship you. Or maybe your response is, God, speak to me. Your servant is listening. Or maybe you want to go to someone next to you. You want someone to, to pray with you. We have, we have prayer team members that are going to be going to the side. Just walk up to them. Just say, I'm in a battle. Can you pray for me? <laughs> Can you walk with me? But let's take some time before we rush out of this place today to respond to the word of the Lord. And then I'll come up here in a few moments and dismiss us. Let's respond to the Lord today.